Welcome to Victory Points. This is a podcast about board games. I'm Becca Scott. I play a lot of board games all the time. But that's not what's important here. What's important here is my guest, the beautiful woman sitting right in front of me. But it's not just her beauty, it's all of her other many skills. She's a very talented person with so many titles. She is a producer, production designer, game designer. You have, yeah? Yeah. 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 RPG player, Star Wars aficionado. Sure. That's yeah. a title. Yeah, that's a title. She's worked in almost every department of a film set in more productions or types of productions that I can even name. Not to mention, she's an absolute gem of a human that I very much admire. Not done. <clears throat> we met when she was the supervising producer of Indiecade, a gaming festival in Los Angeles celebrating Big games, small games, any kind of game, as long as it's an indie game uh, for video, tabletop, board games. She's also the event producer for this summer's D&D in a Castle event. It's open to the public. It's taking place in England in a castle in the very last weekend of June. And if you're interested, make sure you look up D&D in a Castle. We actually have four castles in June and July. You have four castles? Mm-hmm. There's four events. Oh, my goshness. She also plays RPGs on The Uncommon Trust, and she plays the character Fiona in L.A. by Night, the Vampire the Masquerade RPG show on Geek and Sundry. Welcome, Ash. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Becca. It is my great pleasure to have you. That was quite a lot of quite a lot. Well, you do quite a lot. Did you know this? <laughs> I had picked up on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're unstoppable. You're always... Working and doing the next thing. I feel like you have to be when you're freelance and entertainment and gaming. It's like if you stop working, people just stop paying you. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a thing. That is a solid point. Now, I want to talk about something that you wanted to talk about later in this episode after I want to talk about you more first. But (laughs) what we're going to talk more about is Epic games, this Mm -hmm. genre of big games, these massive games with lots of minis, Mm -hmm. campaign-style games, also known as legacy games, and how much we love those. Yeah, we do. It's true. And this was brought on by the fact that uh, a couple nights ago, we stayed up very late playing Cthulhu Wars by Peterson Games. It was published in 2015. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, and we'll dive into more of what that is in a little bit, but... Created by Sandy Peterson, who also created Call of Cthulhu. Dang! Mm-hmm. Sandy's busy. Call of Cthulhu is an excellent RPG game. Mm-hmm. So spooky, so scary. Now, here's the most important thing, most important question on this podcast. Uh, no, it's not. Not really. What did you play okay. as a kid? Who? Lots of things, I guess. Um, I was. I felt like I was always playing. My parents were very, very, like, we did a lot of board games growing up. It was my folks were very big into sort of like family get togethers. You know, we always had dinner together as a family. Like we always when we watched TV, it was like as a family. We did like they liked to play a lot of dice games, like a game called Zilch, which I don't know if you ever heard that. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of like standard classic board games like Scrabble and Monopoly and Risk. Um, there were certain games my mother refused to play with my father. <laughs> Such as Monopoly. When my father was a child. He and his brother played a three-day game of Monopoly. Like nobody lost for three days. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. And it was like they like were in their treehouse playing Monopoly for three days. It's this apocryphal story of like my dad and why my mom won't play Monopoly with him because he takes it too seriously. That's so interesting because my father also takes Monopoly very very seriously. And one time, as a kid, he was very sick for a week with the flu or something and he stayed home in his bed with a monopoly board and played against himself over and over <laughs> oh my gosh that's that's dedication and that's, that yeah. is why uh, we had to play a lot of monopoly so he could win and he doesn't like losing games i know he's listening i love you dad <laughs> my my father also doesn't like losing games but like he doesn't get um like, he, he's not a, a sore loser or anything. He just gets bored and then just wins the game so he can stop playing it. Like, he's done that multiple times. Like, we were playing, we played Flux, which I love because I find games like that very zen, mm. where it's like... Never it, ending? Well, not that it's never ending. It's it's just that you can't, like, focus on one single strategy. You have to constantly be changing your strategy sure. and not get too invested in any kind of strategy because the rules are always changing. To, just to mention Flux a little more because it's one that... 
they have a zombie flux, alien flux, oh, all so the different, different fluxes. fluxes yeah. And the only rule starting out is on your turn, you draw one card and you play one card. Yeah. And a lot of the cards you can play are new rules for everyone that you put face up on the table. So very simple, cool little game, flux. Just yeah. a pack of cards. It's just like a quick, fun game. And my father did not like that the rules kept changing. <laughs> so he literally was just like, I don't want to play this game anymore. So he just like set down a rule that was like, do this to win. And then he did it to win on his turn. And it was just That's sort of this weird, win. magical. So he's, he's magic, I guess. Is the my dad's magic and Aww. really like an engineer. He's a magical engineer. Um, and German, and you and speak fluent German. I did, seems unrelated, but yes. I don't. I didn't list it along with your giant <laughs> resume. It's part of my gaming credits. Well, just to go down a rabbit hole, because we're just going to talk about how good of friends we are at this whole podcast. (laughs) You You speaking German Mm -hmm. while we were together in Berlin having just finished a Harry Potter uh, themed... uh, College of Wizardry. I was going to say like a knockoff Harry Potter themed LARP. Um, And then we went to Berlin for two days and you speaking fluent German was very helpful in that scenario. Yeah. Anyway, just wanted to shout out what big nerds we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, I also played a lot of pretend growing up like I played outside a lot and like with the neighborhood kids and we like like played pretend and built okay like, I know what this podcast is about now what's that <laughs> for at least the next 10 minutes because I want to rant <laughs> about how kids today have too structured of lives they don't get that free play time oh yeah that we get you know I'm sure some parents make sure their children get free play and make them do unstructured play. But for the most part, the tendency is for children to have very structured play in 2019. Mm -hmm. And this is, would you say it's a problem? Because Um, you are an imaginative person. Yeah. I've never never thought about it as being too structured. I think about it, it is very, like, tied into electronics. And I just, I feel like there's a way to engage imagination um, but it takes effort, I guess. Yeah. And, um, like, yeah, I feel like kids play too much on their iPod, iPads. And they get very good at certain things. You know, like, I had a, I have a friend who, as a younger person, they played a lot of, you know, like, um, like fighter, like flight simulator sort of games and, like, fighter games. And they were recruited by the Air Force to fly drones. Whoa. Um, and so it's it's developing a skill set that is very specific and, and is can be useful. But I also think imagination is often overlooked. Um, but yeah, I've never thought of it as being like structured. You mean like? I'm talking about less the fact that kids don't go outside and play video games all the time, more about the fact that they have piano lesson and swim lesson and karate lesson and everything is led by an adult. It's not kids figuring out their own social dynamics together. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I was working on a commercial in Nebraska. Um, and I was hanging out with this, like, it was, like, middle of nowhere. It was actually Gross, Nebraska was the name of the town. It's population two. Gross. Yeah. Nebraska. <laughs> exactly. Um, Shout out to population two in Gross, Nebraska. Hope yeah, you're listening. Mary, Mary and Mike in Gross, Nebraska. Wow. You can see them on an Ancestry.com commercial. Couldn't um, they vote to change the name of the town if it's just the two of them? I feel like they don't think of it like that. They don't think it's Gross. No, they know it's gross. But it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter. Anyway, who's um, on first? But they had their uh, their children's children were there. Like they were they were you know in their sixties or whatnot, and they had their kids, and their kids had like little kids that were helping us. And it was so interesting because they are these. They grow up in sort of like um, you know in, in Nebraska, small town where they help out all the time. So with this seven-year-old was helping us like change light bulbs, like moving the ladder himself, and like changing light bulbs and like doing stuff. And my instinct was to be like, seven-year-old, no, sit in the corner. Put them in a box. Wrap them in foam. <laughs> yeah, but they, but like all the kids were like helping, and they were kind of like, they were given the space to um, be their own people. And the children themselves took care of themselves, and they had this sort of pecking order. Like, there was this two-year-old, and when the 14-year-old had to go do something, she turned to, like, the 10-year-old and was like, you're going to watch her, right? And the 10-year-old was like, yeah, of course. And so they looked out for each other, and they were allowed to sort of just run around outside, and it was totally safe um, because they had each other's back. But they were able to be, like, tiny adults and, like, practice adulting, you know? I find that absolutely inspiring. Yeah. Because... I think even growing up, as I did in the 90s, 
uh, we were given more freedom. We yeah. were told, go outside and play. And there's danger there. A lot of us, our generation got hurt as kids. Yeah, I don't seriously. know how I survived, like yeah. looking back at all the dumb stuff I did. Sure, we broke bones, we sprained ankles, we did the things that teach you how to keep yourself safe later. Those are usable yeah. skills. Um, well, they got it figured out in gross Nebraska. And I take back all my jokes about the name of the town. But I do wonder, though, getting back to uh, the the topic, if the lack of freedom with young kids today and in sort of their childhood, and this is just a theory, like it's probably based in nothing and totally wrong. But I wonder if like because as a child you weren't able to just uh, go out and, and create all of this, you know, imaginary worlds and like explore that on your own, that it's it's almost led to this like – explosion of more epic games and role-playing become more popular because you have the ability as an older person to explore the imagination that you couldn't develop as a younger person. Oh, oh your face. Oh, <laughs> Ash, you did it. You tied it back together. <laughs> Absolutely. I have a lot of questions for you about why this is. And we okay. can just get into it now. All right, let's just do it. Um, but yeah, I oh, that is interesting. Because the thing about board games that's different than video games is they do involve more imagination. Mm -hmm. Because sure, you have minis and you have a map and you have art, but you have to connect all the dots between those things. You have to paint the in-betweenies, yeah. if you will. Yeah, and it's like, you know, like, okay, so Codenames is, is a really great example of this in that it's just sort of a basic like a you know words on cards kind of game it's it's not quite an abstract strategy game but it, it like it doesn't need the theming of your spies really oh but, but it does exactly um but with code names like deep undercover like it's so interesting because they turned to which regular is the after dark adults version of code names right um it is so not this one but the um what is it there's a, a code names no, no, no. There's, uh, it's the two-player code names. Oh, yeah. Is a, is a campaign game. Duel? No. Du duo code names duo? Is it duo? I think it's duo. It's like a green box. Yeah. Um, but it's a campaign game. Is it? Yeah. So basically, you, uh, you, your spy partners basically have to like make very specific accomplishments all over the map. So they give you this map, and it has like goals that you have to accomplish in each country. And so they've turned like yes, it's green. Yeah, uh, codenames duet. 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 I actually just read through that rule book because my sister-in-law bought it mm -hmm. accidentally, thinking it was regular code names, and she was like, "I don't know how to play this." And I was like, "Oh, no problem. I'll teach you." And then I did not teach her. Anyway, it was a really great story. Sorry, you should tell it point. often and at parties. Okay, I will. <laughs> um, no, my point is they took like a regular card game and turned it into a campaign game because even in the simplest of games people are like but I want to keep playing and become emotionally invested in this and create like you know a, a sort of history of what these characters are going through and you're just playing code names like and so that it's I feel like there's this and maybe it's just the people I hang out with. That could be it. No, I think it goes back to our, our cave woman urges to tell <laughs> stories. Yeah. To tell stories. And uh, games are fun, of course, because we're interacting with each other and we're creating competition or we're creating goals that we need to achieve. But ultimately, what we love as humans is storytelling. Yeah. And remembering and learning from stories and... That's why we all are obsessed with television and video games. <laughs> yeah. And so, of course, we bring that into our, our other aspects of gaming. And interacting. Like, yeah. like, video like games are fun. good story I told you not... about my sister-in-law, remember? That was such a good story. Yeah, I can't wait till the, the next party to tell of, that. You know, is she going to teach it? Is she not? She read the rule book. Will she ever tell her sister-in-law yeah. how to play? You should go into storytelling professionally. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Be a real, real short rest of the episode if I stop talking <laughs> entirely. Okay, unshut up. <laughs> Yay. Um, okay, well, I was gonna talk. Oh, no, I do want to talk about Cthulhu Wars, but oh, um, yeah. now, now you've got me thinking a lot about Betrayal Legacy. Oh yes, yes. Which uh, those of you at home should check out Game the Game on YouTube. Uh, Betrayal Legacy campaign is it's our. I, I feel like our most 
um, I don't want to say most popular because numbers, but it's like the it's the the one that folks are most Showing excited the most about. Engagement. Yeah, and people ask about it every time. Like I forgot every to time. mention when I said you're a producer <laughs> that you are show. my producer <laughs> for Game the Game on Geek and Sundry. It's, you know, it's just a thing I do. You know, it's just yeah, one um, of many. Um, but yeah, so we've been playing through Betrayal Legacy, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, there's 13 chapters but 14 games because there's a prologue to that game mm-hmm. and Ash gets to <laughs> watch watch me and three other people play this it's game. It's so fun. We it's, even have other like Geek and Sundry staff members. I don't know if you ever noticed the people that come in while we're filming that game. Really? Like Yeah, like Lauren came in yesterday when we were filming or Monday? Monday when we were filming and she was like, is it Betrayal? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, can I can I watch? I was like, yeah, you, you work here. <laughs> um, but, but why no. is it that we're so drawn into these 14-hour-long uh, situations? So long, yeah. I, what is this? I call, what's wrong with us? Nothing. Nothing. It's just fun. People get, like, they want to know what happens. And you guys are so entertaining. And it's just so fun to watch the story and the twists and turns. And, you know, it's like you're talking about storytelling, there was a study done that uh, where it compared people reading a story versus being told a story, and the retention and engagement of being told a story was like, you know, however many per- massive numbers greater than those who just read it. Really? Yeah. Like, I find I'm the opposite. I like to read the story. Yeah? I'll rip it out of someone's hands. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying they read it out loud. I'm saying, like, they're telling it to you. Do you know what I mean? Like if somebody tells you a story of what happened versus uh-huh. you like reading it on their Facebook post. Oh. You're far more engaged, and maybe not you, but in general, people are far more engaged and remember the details a lot better. Because you can watch their excitement. Yeah, and you like. They'll put emphasis where it needs to and pacing where it needs to be. <laughs> and I, th- I wonder if there's also a different, because you're just listening, you're, you're able to imagine more. I don't know. I have no idea. I also think that maybe it is our need for connection. Whether mm-hmm. or not we're an introvert or extrovert, it we all have this need for other humans in our lives. That's true. And so when someone's speaking to you directly, you get the warm, fuzzy feeling. The warm, mm-hmm. fuzzy mm-hmm. feeling is someone sharing with me. It's very personal and intimate. Yeah. And when you're reading a page... You may you may have your brain light up and ooh I'm learning information that I really like but it's more individual and therefore it it doesn't it doesn't bring you joy in the same way yeah but with for game the game specifically with betrayal legacy I feel like the big difference between that and our other games is that when you watch the other episode it begins and it ends in that episode you don't like get to the end being like I wonder what's going to happen to those specific people or to that specific house it's just that was a cool game. I wonder what other game there will be. And so it's like, I don't think it, you get as emotionally invested as when you have an ongoing story. Absolutely. There's a cliffhanger there. Yeah. And mad shout out to Rob Davio. Dave, uh, D-A-V. You got this. I-A-U. Ash, you're good at pronouncing things. Help me out here. Oh, I'm sorry. So, Anyway, Rob is the designer of Betrayal Legacy, and uh, he also, I believe, invented the first Legacy game. Um, he's, like, the guy known for doing the thing that was brought in to mm-hmm, make Betrayal mm-hmm. awesome, and mm-hmm. they really did an incredible job over at Avalon Hill creating this really intriguing game because... Because they did Pandemic, yeah? Yes. But I think there were, I want to say three Legacy games before that, but I don't know who made them. I believe you, um, and I trust you. Inherently. All right. So Pandemic came out in 2015 or 2016, 2015, and it became number one on Board Game Geek in 2016. What? And and then what was the next big one? Have Uh, you played through Pandemic Legacy? Not the Legacy, no. I played Pandemic. Sure. I feel like Pandemic Legacy is just so... You'd have to leave this room had you not played through Pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. I good to know that's your bar. Um, <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Sorry to you, six listeners. If you haven't played Pandemic, you should play. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I'm not mad at you. Anyway, how to tell them? As long as they're sorry, you know, <laughs> you're a. <laughs> um, I actually, so I'm I met Matt Leacock. He's a lovely, mm-hmm. lovely human being. He's the person mm-hmm. who designed Pandemic, and um, I shouted out in the last episode. 
Um, a documentary that's currently being produced, they're on Kickstarter right now, it's called The Game Designers, and there was a bunch of interviews with Matt Leacock in it, and in one of them, he's quoted in the trailer as saying, uh, I know that I'm. it's going to be really, really difficult to ever make a game that is as successful as Pandemic, and it's that thing of you hit on gold, and it's like, how do you repeat it without exactly repeating it? Yeah. It's got to be a difficult situation to be in. Yeah. Success can be a curse in that way. Yeah. That's what, who was it? Uh, there was a singer. Oh my gosh, I totally blanked on her name. You know, she's Dolly amazing. Parton. No, 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 more recent. Rihanna. No, and she made that album about breaking up, which I know doesn't narrow it down. Um, the one about breaking up? Adele, yes. Adele had like writer's block after her first album because it was so successful. Oh. She was like. Tough break, kid. Yeah, well, no, it was, it was, she's like, I don't know that I can like do that again. It was like lightning in a bottle. Yeah. I mean, she did, obviously. She did She's it amazing. again. She, she did it again. Thank God. Shout out to Adele. I hope she plays games. And if not, I'd like to play with her. Um, okay. But if she does play games, you don't want to play with her? If not, if I want to play with her either way. Okay. But if she doesn't, I would love to be the person to introduce her to games. Okay. Adele, so if, if you're listening. Yeah. Or if anybody who's friends with Adele is listening, mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you could, like, maybe tweet at me. Let's yeah. make it happen. James Corden, if you're listening, let Adele know that Becca wants to... I'm assuming they're friends. They I'm two degrees of separation. We don't have yeah. to get into it. Um, <clears throat> so Cthulhu Wars. Yes. We played, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was epic and amazing. So let me do a so little good. what this game is okay. for anyone who, do, who doesn't know. So the base game of Cthulhu Wars by Peterson Games is a four-player game where you can play up to eight players if you have all these insane expansions for different factions. So this good. is a strategy game where players take on an alien race or a race of ancient gods from the Cthulhu mythos created by H.P. Lovecraft. So it's all about darkness and insanity and evil elder gods or, you know, benevolent. Because they're not evil, really. They're just doing their, their monster thing. Yeah, they're like fire. Fire isn't evil. Fire it's... isn't evil. It just likes to burn stuff. <laughs> So this is one of those games that takes up the entire table. It's got like 50 minis that come with it. They're gorgeous Mm -hmm. figurines, very detailed. Each faction has their own different art to their figurines. I really like how bright, brightly colored the plastic is that comes with it. Of course, you can always paint your figurines, but with this, you don't really need to. Uh, It has a huge map based on Earth and... What players do is they gather power at the beginning of a turn, sort of based on area control of your gates to another realm, and that's where you summon your creatures, and you can use your power to um, to take an action to summon, to move, to battle, to build more gates, or use your unique abilities, unique to just your faction, mm-hmm. from your spell books yeah. that you earn by doing actions listed on your player board. So players just go around in turns until everyone either passes or runs out of power, and then uh, there's some end-of-round mechanics, and then you gain more power and do it again mm-hmm. until somebody gets 30 victory points. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. that's the gist. And then everyone's spell books are entirely different, and how they get their spell books are entirely different, and it's, yeah, it's... It's great. And the minis, like, are up to almost, some of them are, like, five inches tall, you know? It's, oh, they don't mess so, around. Yeah, they're so, so pretty. Um, and I love, I, it's so well balanced, but so asymmetrical. Yes. Like, everyone has entirely different sort of, like, tactics and abilities, and, and they're so different. And it was, it's, so I love it. And I also love that as far as, like, epic games like that go, it's not that long of a play, like we it, played from it was like 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. so five no, hours like, like 2 a.m. Mm, was it okay. 3? Okay. But it was also the first hour of that was everybody learning the game. Like Joseph literally read the rules out loud, <laughs> which it uh, it shows the dedication of your group yeah. of gamers when you can get your friends to listen to you read a rule book. Yeah, and then also everybody had to read through all of their because it, so it was it was. Half of the players was the first time they ever played, so there was a learning curve because it's just even learning what your faction does is, like, a lot, but so <laughs> yes. cool. And it's it's exciting. It's like, what? I could do that? Like, it's just very exciting. Um, and it's so asymmetrical. And, it I mean, it's not like Twilight Imperium, you know, where it's, like, a 12-hour game. Like, if you played well. it, if you played it, you know, as, as, like, 
with just the base game, you can get through that. If everyone knows what they're doing, you can get through a game in like 45 minutes. Well, the base game is also four players. You yeah. add more players, it takes more time. Yes. Yeah, but this game, it's its so beautiful, so epic, but it's not one of those that, um, like, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be happy to whip this out <laughs> and, and show it to anyone, you yeah. know? Uh, it's something I think that anybody could get into, even though it does take a lot of checking in and making sure that your unique conditions are mm-hmm. met because you, you don't want to miss that. Yeah. Nothing worse than like, oh, I had a power that would have worked there. And Which I, happened a couple of times, yeah. <laughs> to you specifically. To, well, and to Kate, yeah. Um, you're, oh, right. But it course. turned out fine for me. So <laughs> Yeah, hers was she could take two actions uh, instead of when one another player would take a single action. Yeah. But your thing was super cool. So you played as the crawling chaos. Yes. main power is they fly. Yeah, I mean, they, that's their unique ability is that they fly. And they have several other things where, because they fly, they have all, the, with the spell books, they have all these other things where it's like, if you would declare a battle, like, I have these, you know, pieces that can just fly into battle wherever. And mm-hmm. then I have other pieces that fly out of battle and take a, an opponent with them. So it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's basically all my special powers are like related the monkeys to monkeys and Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's I played the monkeys. That was <laughs> my um, faction. But the power that you missed one time, it was really cool because it it, it made everybody. It, the idea was for everyone else to go crazy with infighting. Mm-hmm. So you could use that ability to roll a single die, mm-hmm. and that's the amount of power that would be uh, that everyone would have to give away. But it had to be split among you, whatever that number was. Yeah. And, and you guys have a minute to decide. And if you couldn't decide, then I gained that power. That's a Unfortunately, real I rolled a one the one time I remembered to actually do it. So everyone was just like, well, David's obviously taking it. Yeah, David had like 12 power left when everybody else had zero. And it was yeah. like, okay, him. <laughs> and he yeah, was like, me. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he could have put up a fight if he was an obstinate game player. Yeah. But... Uh, my husband David is a team game player. Okay, so when we're talking about what is responsible for the growth of this mm-hmm. type of epic, you're in it for five or six hours at least, maybe four, maybe three, um, with a dedicated group. These games are not cheap. No. <laughs> Do you think that's a barrier to entry, or is that an enticement to have a game that is something you're very proud of. It's very presentational. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the I, keeping up with the Joneses. I So I read this somewhere, but I don't remember where. So I'm just going to pretend it's fact, um, even though I can't cite it, that, um, and this is one of those like millennials do this sort of thing. But I, I read somewhere that um, millennials are far more into experiences rather than like Owning things. things. That's that, yeah. I've seen that statistic. That yeah. somebody did some research there. And in general, I feel like an experience like is makes you happier than a physical item. Absolutely. And I think with these epic games, you're you're getting that. Like it's an experience, and with something that is two hundred dollars. So we have a copy, but technically, it's not just our copy of Cthulhu Wars. I think because we got the we got the game, we have all the expansions, we have a whole bunch of other stuff. I think the total cost of everything was like three hundred fifty dollars, and. I um, bought some of it, my husband bought some of it, and then our two friends, Elliot and Ross, bought some of it. So we all went in on this game. it's a group investment. Yeah, so as a group, we invested in this game, and then that became a shared experience. Like, we were getting the game so that we could all play it. And so it's currently at our house. We sort of switch off custody of the Cthulhu Wars game. Um, But I feel like that happens a lot with something that, expensive like multiple people would be like let's you know especially it's with a legacy lot like games. the big book of pussy um it's similar to that <laughs> I can't you brought that up it's similar except that's free and fun for everyone this um, is a tabletop book that is exactly what it sounds like that's a coffee table book coffee table book. tabletop is always stuck in my head it's uh yeah. that Ash so kindly gifted to me and my husband because it was gifted to her. We were so on topic back then. Yeah, I know. I can't stay on one topic. I'm sorry. I also had another tangent I wanted to get on. Again, okay, so so the Big Book of Pussy is a large coffee table book that is just pictures of uh, women's uh, nether regions. 
yeah and they don't they don't all have bushes though mm. um and then just sort of like conversations within the book about that woman and why she whatever and well, my she styled it the way I've never read the articles actually now that you mention it and my friend Java had it originally and he left it at my friend Juliana's house and then Juliana left it at my house and then I left it at uh, Becca and David's house and that's how I it goes. I tried to gift it you can't, to though. someone you who have came to, you have to, to physically bring it to someone's house and then just be like Merry Christmas. Now it's yours. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm for waiting for the opportunity yeah. now that I've remembered. It went into um, the stack of coffee table books for a while and now I've realized I have this plague I have to get rid of. Yeah. No, but uh, just speaking of passing fun things on to friends and sharing of games. Yes. So, you know, before mm -hmm. a gamer really comes into their own and realizes there's so many games in the world, it's it's Monopoly, as we've already mentioned. Um, so uh, in in college, I went to David Buster's with a group of friends, and mm -hmm. we all It's Dave and Buster's. Dave and Buster's. Right? It's not David Buster's. No, right? it's I just... Dave and Buster's. just Dave and Buster's. slurred my words. Oh, okay. There's a guy Dave and a guy Buster, and we went there, <laughs> and we pooled all of our tickets because we realized that deep down we're socialists, and... Uh, <laughs> As you should be. And we went for the big thing at the top, which was... Beatles Monopoly. Oh, my and, God, that's amazing. Yeah, and then we started playing Beatles Monopoly once a week, and whoever won got to take it home. And See? we did this for, for like, a year. It was very exciting the, and not as cool as having a Cthulhu Wars that's passed around. But, yeah. Yeah. No, but it is, though. It's just as cool as that. And that is, So this is great advice for listeners. If you're like, no way I'm ever going to spend $300 on a game, no thank you, get six of your friends or five of yeah. your friends on board. Bing, bang, boom. Yeah, and then you guys have this shared, like, thing that you do, and it, it becomes, I don't know, you're more motivated to actually hang out. And I think that's as connected as we are currently with technology, people are very disconnected. Yeah. You know, because you're sitting next to someone checking your social media <laughs> as opposed to talking to that person. We were standing uh, after we just played, um, spoilers, Access and Allies, um, online and well, we were standing around with the other guests that had been on that show and they have announced it I think they announced phones. it today oh good I'm not breaking rules I was gonna do it anyway but you know um <laughs> inside scoop baby um <laughs> it's a video I was just gonna bring up a really cool joke that I made and I said I looked up and we were all looking at our phones on social media and I just said, wow, it's really nice that we can spend this time together. <laughs> it's something that happens so easily. We're all just drawn to these things that yeah. we don't even realize we're doing it. Um, but yeah, we were talking about it's kind of difficult to get your friends together. Yeah. And so that's a good way to do it is, guys, we all have this Cthulhu war just waiting for it. We already have this commitment. We know what we're going to do. Let's just put it on the books. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, did you have a favorite faction? Now, I know that you played as Crawling Chaos, we've mentioned. I did, and I have now special, like, warm feels for Crawling Chaos because I won you with Crawling it. Chaos. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I really like the Black Goat, which... Uh, Oh my goodness, I've forgotten the name of the great old one. So Crawling Chaos is Nyarlathotep. Um, and I should mention you have a lot of Cthulhu knowledge because your I husband is obsessed and therefore... He's not obsessed, he's informed. Informed, <laughs> informed. Big, big fan. And therefore yeah. you know a lot about the great old ones. I don't know as much as he does. Well, I'll have to ask him about it sometime Yeah. on this podcast. Um, but yeah, the Black Goat... Uh, she is an elder god of fertility, and so the black goat's whole thing is that it's it's very um, inexpensive to sort of generate monsters. That's mm -hmm. one of the things you're doing constantly is like generating new monsters, and they have a. It's just it's such a great faction. Um, I feel like it was underutilized in that game by my husband who was playing it. Ouch! Sick burn. Yeah, well, I feel like a lot of people underutilize. Like Bob was playing um, Cthulhu. Cthulhu. And it was his first time playing Cthulhu, so it's always the first time you play any faction. You like it's not as as good as the second time. But he he did not take advantage of Cthulhu's like most powerful move. It was like the last spellbook he tried to get, and so he never even had it the whole game. What is that move? Cthulhu has the ability to basically turtle, where he can take a whole like him and a whole bunch of monsters and just sort of delve into the ocean and disappear, and then pop <gasps> then you're up. You're protected from attacks. 
But you can, yes, and you can pop up anywhere else on the board Ooh. with all of those monsters at any time. Oh, that's great. And he never did that. As sleeper, I think I may have left a spell book untapped that was the last one that I gained ability to use, and that was I could use any other player's special ability yeah, you never for one turn, that. but it's because I didn't get that spell book to last, because oh. on your player board, there's six boxes you got to check, not literally, but things you have to do, mm-hmm. and you can do them in any order, but that most of them take an action, and it's like, give another player three power, and then you pay three power, and then earn a spell book, and you can choose which order you want to earn your spell book in. Yeah. So there's a you lot of taken strategy that one right in away. order. Well, it was my first time playing this game at all, and yeah. um, I'm going to say that I'm very proud of myself for reaching 30 victory points. I tied for second place in my very first playthrough. Yeah, you did great. You had five gates in the end. I think you were the only person with five gates. And uh, nobody caught me. Nobody was talking about me. You know, it's one of those where you'll gang up for the leader against the leader. waited until you left the room to talk about you? Well, I did go snuggle with the dog and I heard whispers and I thought (laughs) either they're thinking, wow, it's really weird that she's like trying so hard to make her dog kiss her on the lips or (laughs) or um, later, I realized that you were probably scheming against me because somebody figured out that I had five gates. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things where it was like, don't. I feel like I feel like I can't uh, talk about scheming against you in front of you because then that'll give you even more of an edge. I don't know. It's- oh, go on, go dive deeper into <laughs> what you think of me, gaming wise. This is very um, interesting. Oh, gaming-wise, I think you're extremely um, astute and and competitive and a very good gamer and often underestimated, and I think you uh, know how to use that. Thank you. I brought you on just to compliment me. (laughs) No, and for me to compliment you. Um, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I try to use my bubbly personality to distract people from the fact that they are about to get crushed. Yes, and I think Cthulhu Wars is a great game to do that with. It worked because everyone, everyone's faction is so different that like Kate's, uh, Kate was playing the yellow, yellow sign, sign. Mm-hmm. which is the king in yellow, and then Haster, and she had a, an entirely different sort of um, set of goals to get her. It was it's just it's like she's playing a different game. And she would just be like, I just need to walk by you guys. I'm not I'm not starting fights. Pardon just... me, let me scorch this earth right here. Don't worry about it. Just putting a token, don't look at it. Yeah. And <laughs> I played a game uh, of Cthulhu Wars like a year oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Like a year or so ago. Um, and I had a friend, Emily, who it was her first time playing, and she you know, it was myself and Emily and like three other dudes who knew the game really well. And so Emily basically put on this like, I don't really know what's going on, like this game is so complicated, like the whole time, and then she like one like mm. like real hard as yellow sign or do you remember as one? yellow sign yeah oh my. and it was because she was like I don't know what's going on. I'm just gonna try this and like nobody paid attention to her and they were like oh well let me explain the thing and you know and they got very like helpful um <clears throat> because they just totally underestimated her because she's you know this little diminutive sort of like woman uh, uh and women don't know how to do things right but yeah. she like beat the f out of that game <laughs> and afterwards was like yeah <laughs> Should we do? Do you have thoughts on what it's like to be a female gamer? Because um, oh, are we going down that I rabbit guess, hole? Well, I guess we're skimming the surface of it, and we might as well dive in. Oh, look at me with a metaphor that was not mixed at all. Those were both water metaphors. Anyway, Good job. Thank you. Um, I wouldn't have expected that of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Neither would I, frankly, obviously, because I would have underestimated Emily. Just kidding. No, I wouldn't. Not for a second. Uh, but I think it happens all the time, as you mentioned, because of whatever factors of, oh, well, women aren't traditionally as yeah. saturating this industry. And so since you're a woman, that is on this podcast, maybe we should talk about it. I, you know, it's a thing. And it's it's like one of those things that just always happened so you don't really think about it until people start talking about it. And then it becomes this like, yeah, of course. And I don't understand why men are so surprised when women are like, yeah, I'm always underestimated. You know, I'm sure you've been, and and I hate to like be, it's like, oh, they're mansplaining. But I'm sure you have had men explain games to you as though you have no idea what's going on. What's really funny is when it happens at a convention, I'm walking by a booth, and they're like, well, let me explain this game to you. And they'll just be like, so, 
around is when each person takes a turn. And I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have no fucking clue who I am, do you? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's always, it's for some reason, like, being a woman is just like, well, they clearly aren't really into gaming. And it's, so I have a Star Wars tattoo. You mentioned as a Star Wars aficionado. That's, it's, it's true. I love Star Wars. <laughs> I've always loved Star Wars, you know. Um, I, I uh, I was born the year of the Jedi, I like to say, because um, I was born in 83. And, you know, some of my earliest memories are watching Star Wars with my father. And then again, in like middle school, I became like obsessed with Star Wars. When I finally got to an age where I could understand all the nuances and it wasn't just like, oh, this is fun. Um, so I've always been a massive Star Wars fan. Um, and it was so interesting when you first meet people, especially now that it's so popular, everyone assumes that it's a new thing. Like, I get that question all the time with like, yeah, but when did you start liking Star Wars? Ugh. And I was like, first off, Testing why your does nerd that matter? matter? Get out. Yeah. yeah, like I worked on a show in, uh, I was working, because I also did reality television for some reason, um, but I was working on a show in New York, like, um, 2007, 2008, something like that. And the producer, like, afterwards, like, we, the crew went out for drinks and I was talking about how I love Star Wars. And he had to test my knowledge. He's mm -hmm. like, yeah, but do you really love Star Wars? So he started quizzing me. And so we'd go back and forth quizzing each other. And I, he lost. Um, the, and he was like, oh, wow, you are a Star Wars fan. And it was like, <laughs> I bow to you. Yeah, I was like, why do we have to go through these, like, you know, Herculean, like, feats for me to, like, for you to just take me at my word? Yeah. That I'm a Star Wars fan. It totally. Was... We uh, So the women, the reason that women often feel what's referred to as imposter syndrome mm -hmm. is because I think we are put through the ringer more. Yeah. And we have to know more. And that pushes us to learn more and become more of experts so that we can prove, yes, I deserve to be here in a way yeah. that men traditionally don't have to do. But to the credit of men, it's it's sort of like the the patriarchy or whatever. It it it's a disservice to everyone, because men are also told growing up, if you like games, women won't like you, you know. Desimbo shit. Yeah, and so it's it's this thing that's plugged into them that it's not like masculine or attractive to be into like role playing or to be into video games. That it's you know this idea that you're not. Um, going to be an attractive person. You'll be a nerd who lives alone in, a, in your mom's basement if you like gaming. And so I feel Disagree like... Disagree wholeheartedly. And so I feel like part of it is it tied into that, that, that men get defensive where they're like, wait a second, this can't be real. Like you're, you know, especially with you, you know, you're very like an adorable, like amazing woman. <laughs> and there's there's so much more to you than that. But when someone just meets you, all they have to go on is sort of the superficial, mm -hmm. you know. So that's their initial initial like interaction with you is why is this awesome girl into what I'm into? This can't be right because it's been drummed into them that this is like, you know, nerdy and wrong. And Well, likewise, my love. Final point on that before we take a little break, yes. unless you have a final point, and then you can final point my no, final point. No, I'm just making up facts like they're real, so but, I should probably um, stop. <laughs> I find a sick satisfaction in being underestimated mm -hmm. because you get to school somebody in how good you are at that thing, you know? It's also it's way easier to beat people when they underestimate you. Absolutely. So I want to thank all the chronic underestimators out there. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you make it fun for us to prove you wrong. Yeah, thank you for making my winning easier. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back, and I want to dive deeper into all the things that you do with role-playing games. Okay. Cool. Welcome back to Victory Points. My guest today is Ash Minnick, a woman with too many titles, producer, production designer, game designer, RPG player, so many, so many, so many things. And I want to talk to you more about all of the role-playing games that mm -hmm. you are involved in. For those that have never heard, the initials RPG. Now, uh, let's see. You do shows at a, a channel called Uncommon Trust. So I do shows with a group called The Uncommon Trust Great. on multiple different channels. Um, currently, we have we have a residency mm -hmm. on a Twitch channel called Q Times, spelled the the English way Q U E U E. Uh, getting that getting that Q. Yeah. Q up. Yeah. 
there's lines, man. Uh, Q times. So every Sunday afternoon um, from noon to three, we do uh, a show called Uncommon Trust Presents, which is a bunch of mini campaigns. So we have three to four week campaigns. So we do a whole bunch of different role playing games and we swap out the GM. Sometimes it's a guest GM. Sometimes it's one of us. And it um, very recently was you it was, it doing was. a system you have talked to me many, many times I about know. because you are obsessed with it. It's true. Called Hill Folk. What the mm-hmm. heck is Hill Folk? Uh, Hill Folk is a game by Robin D. Laws that's published by Pelgrain Press, which is my favorite of all of the uh, role-playing publishers, um, because they focus on story-based stuff, and Ooh. I'm a big story nerd. Like, Hold I, on. I thought RPG games were all about story anyway. Um, more no. so. D- you know, I mean, more so than, I suppose, Monopoly. But uh, D&D, for instance, in mm-hmm. its sort of original form especially, can be a very crunchy game, which is just sort of like, you know, going into dungeons and... and uh, Dice uh, and modifiers and specific, you didn't beat that monster. Yeah, and it's all about, like, in, in the gameplay, it's you're looking at your stats and your spells, and it's, it's it can be very mathematical. You know, especially now with Critical Role, and things like that, people have delved more into the story of it. But it takes a very good DM to be able to lead folks on that journey. Yes. And Pelgrane Press creates games where the mechanics of the game, um, it's built in that it's storytelling. So you can, like, pick up a Pelgrane game and you're telling stories. Like, you don't have to sort of, like, game the system, as it were, and come up with all of your own homebrew rules. Um yeah, I big, love that. Yeah. Because that's turned me away at first years and years ago from D&D because I played and then was disappointed by uh, a DM that was too rules focused. And of course, mm-hmm. I love rules, you know, nothing wrong with rules. Yeah. But that's not what makes D&D sing as its own thing. It's it's the story. Yeah, and it's you know there's there's nothing wrong with with people playing different types of games. People love different kinds of things. Like some people love to have games that are on rails, and it's all about dungeon delving and fighting battles, and and you know the maps and the minis and the strategy, and that's totally fine. That's just not my general jam. I like telling stories, and I love sandboxy stuff. And I think it is very very difficult with some systems for a GM or a DM to be truly sandboxy. I guess sandbox is uh, a word that I've used and then didn't define just to be totally explicit for people who are maybe using this podcast to get more mm-hmm. into board games. So sandbox, I would define that is as open world as you mm-hmm. have many options and your play can go in a billion different directions yeah. depending on what you want to do. Yeah, right? exactly. You can go anywhere in the sandbox. And um, for... I think people underestimate how difficult it is for the DM or GM to allow their players to be full sandbox. Mm-hmm. It's totally possible. I, th- I feel like it's my favorite way of playing. and But it's it's difficult when you're sitting in that chair to release control to your players because there you know, can be like crazy dumpster fire children that are like, I'm going to burn down your plot point. And you're like, no, but I like I my plot point. plot point. Yeah, I worked exactly. hard last night on that plot point for three hours. Exactly. Oh. And so, um, and my, my husband who actually was on, he did a Call of Cthulhu campaign um, with us uh, last year with the Uncommon Trust. He's also like a professional improviser and has studied narrative improv for, I don't know, forever. Um, And so he's very good at being sandboxy and that's his favorite way of of playing. Um, Which is less stress. If there's anybody out there who's wanting to be a DM or GM and thinking, but that's so much preparation and what if I mess up? It's not a solo show. Yeah, you yeah. got to learn to really listen to your players and follow them. Yeah, so Hill Folk is built in what's called the drama system, Ooh. and the mechanics are entirely story-based. So it's it's very, very different. It's very difficult for a lot of people to wrap their heads around the first time they play it. Try it's, me. Well, I mean, yeah, especially if, if, if you're a big D&D player, that's where I've had the most trouble explaining to people. They're like, so what are what stats do I roll? And I'm like, no. So, are uh, there dice? They're, no. In the, in the original game system, we played with dice because it was just quicker and easier. But the, um, so Hillvoke is based on the drama system. It's all the scenes are divided into uh, two types. There's the role-playing scene and then the, um, oh my God, words left my head entirely. It happens. Here, um, we learned this from James Hudson last episode. If I 
wave my fairy wand and then I hit your brain with it? Procedural. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Yep. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so the scenes are divided into role-playing scenes and procedural scenes. The procedural uh, process with Hill Folk is done with cards, with playing cards. And it's Ooh, this very okay. complicated thing. But so what happens is in the in the zero session, we did a zero session. You can watch it on YouTube. Ooh. Um, if you look up the Uncommon Trust on YouTube, we haven't published any videos, but we have uh, playlists of everywhere we've appeared on the YouTubes. And uh, the Uncommon Trust Presents is on there. And so you can find Hill Folk once. Um, but the zero session of Hill Folk is character creation and you all do it together. So you come to the game with, with no characters created and you create characters together and you're it's not about like, you know, what weapons you have. It's about your desires and your relationships with the other players. Mm. So you start off with a very tight knit group of of players and I likened it to like if you tune into Grey's Anatomy like the sixth season in you know it's like these eight people that have all like hated each other and loved each other and worked with each other and have all of these like secrets and whatever and so that's what you're tuning into when you start the game you have this extremely tight-knit group of people that has all these this undercurrent of like relationships Relationship dynamics that have already been set up exactly if you were to diagram it there's a map and there's lots of strings attaching all the people yeah in fact the mm. map is part of the gameplay is a relationship map yeah i just threw that out there knowing nothing yeah continue please it's a very more it's becoming a more common um tool a relationship map vampire uses a relationship map there's a couple of other games that use that but the game is is focused on building those relationships and building your own personal goals and then um you can either build the world together which is what we did or they have these things called um uh uh what is it series pitches so the book itself is like this thin. That is a one centimeter. I mean, it's maybe two centimeters. But yeah, the book itself like is this thin of rules, and then the whole rest of the book is just series pitches. So oh. basically, you can use these mechanics and drop it into any setting. Can I use it to write my pilot? Yeah, like you could I create don't have a pilot. I'm- but if you if so. For instance, I wanted to use it as a writing tool as well because I'm developing. It doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) But you can create a world and be like, this is the world we're living in. And then have everybody develop relationships or even build the the relationships for them if you have a specific story. And then let people play the story and see what happens in the world. And it's so it's very fun. But you could also drop it into a popular like if you wanted to do a Star Trek game or you wanted to do, you know, Grey's Anatomy. Or, or the Dresden Files. Or the Dresden Files. Which has an RPG that's built around, oh, what what are the dice that have X's on them? Fate dice? Fate. Yeah, it's built around the Fate core system. Oh, Thank you for being a genius. Um, I, I haven't ever run it, but it's my dream to someday run the Dresden Files game. Anyway. You should just do that at like um, uh, any of the, um, not Gen Con, but the um, Strategicon. Oh. Just sign up. Uh, actually, Strategicon is happening this weekend. Oh my God, is it? Yes, and oh, I was just in invited England. by my friend Ruel Gaviola, oh, who was already on this podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I had to play Twilight Imperium, so I'm trying to make that happen. We'll see. You should go. Strategicon is <sighs> great. Oh my gosh, it's right next to Any the chance. Doctor Who con. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. What were we talking about? Mm, fate. No, Hillfolk. Um, Any final thoughts on Hillfolk that you want to share with the fine people? And they should definitely watch your run of The Uncommon Trust Presents. Yes. The final thought is, uh, now that I've gone on a tangent and not really uh, defined anything in a, in a streamlined manner, sorry about that. You have. Um, so GM in Hillfolk stands for Game Moderator, not Game Master. Ooh. Because you, the players have just as much hand in building the story, in fact, more hand really than the GM. So, can you tell a player no in the way you can as a GM in other games? No, not not in the same way. It, only if it only if it goes outside the rules. Gotcha. So, um, as long as they're within the rules of the mechanics of the game, they can make up whatever they want. Ooh. Um, so, what happens is the very first scene is is defined by the GM. And then you draw cards randomly, and then the players uh, define every other scene. So they start the scene. What's on these cards? You just you just assign like 
it says to use playing cards. I use note cards with people's name on them. Mm. So you just shuffle the note cards, and then that becomes the precedence order. And so you, like, pull a card, and you're like, oh, okay, Becca, it's your turn. Now you're calling the scene. Which is, like, scene. initiative order. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, like, initiative. But it's precedence because it's calling the scene. Um, so, like, if you were the scene caller, you would say uh, where the scene is happening, when the scene is happening, which players are in it, and you can define NPCs. And, like, what... I would be a baller scene caller. You would be a baller. Thanks. Scene caller. Just wanted to say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's go. But then, and then you also define um, the petition. So every scene has to have a, a conflict and a petition where you're requesting something of someone else or they're requesting something of you. And if it's, because if you don't have that, it's not a scene. Disagree. In this game. Okay. Yeah. But in life, yeah. I find some of the best, okay, not in life, in improv mm -hmm. or in clown <laughs> which is something that I uh, really enjoy studying. Mm -hmm. um, I've done a, a little clown work. Some of the most beautiful comedy can come from the lack of conflict, from the joy of being together. And I think uh, in that, there's this idea that in, in the world or in uh, a script, you have to have conflict to mm -hmm. have the plot. But in trying to find the fun and joy of a moment, it doesn't actually need that. It's the... I guess the conflict would be just struggling to get along. Yeah. And if you're enjoying just a moment, I think that's totally true. I think with Hillfolk, the reason it requires the conflict is because you need something to further the story. And so it's... it's right. you got to make strides. Yeah. All right. One more RPG game I want to talk about, mm -hmm. and that is Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah. Because you and I both... Oh, oh, she has some things to say. Uh, oh, that's because probably because of what yeah. happened on well, the last because one. because he's a little upset he's, at he's what protective. Chloe's going through. So you and I are both guest characters mm -hmm. on Geek and Sundry's Vampire the Masquerade show, uh, which is called L.A. by Night. Mm -hmm. And Vampire the Masquerade is a role-playing game that's been around for, oh, a Ever? decade or two, three. Forever, yeah. But, um, is still publishing new versions, and uh, the latest one, Jason Carl wrote big chunks of it, with, mm -hmm. uh, published by White Wolf. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Paradox. And Paradox, thank you. And Jason Carl is the uh, game master for L.A. by Night. So mm -hmm. uh, you know a lot more. What has the experience of been playing the character of Fiona been like for you? Who is Fiona? What kind of character? Because I know there's a lot of different specific yeah. genres and races of different types of vampires. Well, I think what's most fun about about it, for especially for what you and I are doing, is that we're technically playing NPCs. Yes. And so, um, you know, you are a character that was defined, I think, by the one of the players, Alex, Jack. basically made your character up. Mm -hmm. Alex um, Ward is the actor, uh, or the player. Yeah. And so... It's it's a very different experience to be an NPC because it's it's I'm, we're sort of there for like plot points. We're like puppets. We, we're puppets. Um, but it also it's fun for me because then I don't have to like I don't know. It's very uh, I'm able to just kind of come in and be terrible and like leave and that's fine. You know, <laughs> drop an evil bomb yeah. and run away from it. Yeah, just. Whereas like, sure. as a player, you have to deal with it and unpack it, and so you mm -hmm. don't want to step on other players' toes. But as an NPC, you can do whatever you want within the rules that the GM told you. Yeah, and it, it also leaves a lot of um, space to develop, you know, all of this, like, backstory stuff that, that probably won't even ever come into play. Like, we had a meeting the other day with Sax and Jason and I where we just went through... Sax is the uh, showrunner for Geek and Sundry, but yes. producer of... Many, many shows there. Many shows. Doesn't yeah. everyone know Sax? Isn't he just like a known commodity now? You no, know, I'm really defining everything for my parents who are listening. Okay, okay. Yeah. Sax is really cool. He wears red flannels and a hat and glasses yeah. and has a beard. Always. He has a uniform. Yeah. He has a uniform. Um, but we had a meeting the other day where we were just sort of, uh, as Fiona's becoming more involved like, um, you know, because originally it was just sort of the one time I showed up. And then it was like, oh, I guess she's here again. Um, but so we went through and defined her whole background. And it was just far more um, uh, uh, freedom with that. 
being just an NPC. So it was fun mm -hmm. because I didn't have to like justify anything on, on camera or have like Jason Carl be like, no, you can't do that. That's too OP because I'm an NPC. <laughs> <laughs> Overpowered. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. I feel like there's a lot that I would like to unpack uh, for listeners of what the heck we're talking about. Oh. Um, because they may be like, well, they're playing NPCs. What is happening? So a role playing game, mm -hmm. traditionally, there's the game master, there's some players sitting around a table. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, of course, rolling their stats and everything and playing the game. Um, what Geek and Sundry has done, and I'm sure many other people on the internet have done, is uh, w once we've started to find ways to televise these role-playing games and film them in a digital way. Uh, so it's a lot for um, a game master to play every single non-playing character, mm -hmm. which typically, if you're playing a home game, they would do. They would be a billion different characters that you encounter. And what we've had the opportunity to do with this show is for... Um, the, the big pool of actors and talent that is at Geek and Sundry, it's like, well, let's just make them come in and guest for an episode yeah. and be that person that we mentioned and talked about and give a face for the viewers of that show of, of what this, let's yeah. illustrate for them who this is because they can. And I think it's a really cool way that's um, making a bridge between traditional narrative content mm -hmm. and new digital RPG-based content yeah. that is unscripted and... Uh, some of it is actually scripted. Some of my scenes, ha I've been handed either well, just, a loose but plot just, outline just the or things, Just the things at the end, though, not the actual gameplay. Like, if, right. when you were at the table, for instance, like, what Jasper did was not scripted. Like, so should we spoil it? Should we say what Jasper did? Um, we, these people don't know what we're talking about. They're going to be like, why don't they explain it to me? Okay, so, so my character uh, is was the girlfriend of one of the players who is now a vampire, specifically a Nosferatu, which are like the gnarly, crazy-looking ones. Yeah. And um, so I was told, you're coming in as this NPC. All you know is that your boyfriend died, and you're real sad about it. Uh, but that was five years ago. Yeah. And, um, so you're just starting to get over it. You're not, yeah, kind of getting over it, not really getting over it. So uh, the scene, there was like a scenario set up that we're going to have you as a non-playing character come in, sit down, have a conversation with your friend at a coffee shop, and you have no idea, but uh, your who you think is dead boyfriend, who is a Nosferatu vampire, is invisible and watching this whole conversation. Yeah. And then, spoilers, he slips me a note that sends my whole world into a tailspin. Yeah, and that was not planned at all and probably not smart <laughs> <laughs> yeah because then they have to keep asking me to come back so i can do weird stuff i mean yeah so for that reason it's smart like i'm glad you're <laughs> back but um and usually in a home game like if something like that happened this happened during what was what we did ep uh, epilogues for the show which is a great was a great thing and it was alex had a conversation with um jason where he wanted to talk like he decided what his epilogue would have been so it's like a peek into his life and this is what he chose and um, so it's cool because the players have a lot of agency there, and then that just happened. And in a home game, if something like that happened, then the GM has repercussions, you know, like, okay, you did this, this has repercussions, and they know those repercussions in the back of their mind. And so the scenes that we're doing at the end of the episode, the sort of soft scripted uh, scenes that you were talking about, are, are the things that usually a GM would just sort of know has happened, but because we have this beautiful, you know, medium of camera. <laughs> we, we have a set. <laughs> we have a set. Yeah. Um, we get to actually, like, film them. And so I think that's really cool where it's like, you know, if you're playing a game, it would sort of be revealed to the players later, but now the audience sort of gets to see these things that are occurring because of the decisions the players are making. Because they do, like... They're, you know, when you're at the table, it's not scripted, and they they just do things that they probably shouldn't, <laughs> <laughs> and it becomes like a, okay, well now we've got to go down this path. And well, it's, you can't control vampires. I know, and that's, I was able to sit in on one episode, and it was just so fun being in that energy because all four of those uh, uh, players are so so invested in their character and so good, and and so it was like. It was very fun um, to see everything develop and where it was going and, and be part of that. You know, it's almost like an improv show where it's like I went in and had no idea where it was going to go. And then it went there and I was like, all right, cool. That's this was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and they're so good. And uh, what I learned from doing that is that you are a very good actor. Oh, that's very kind. 
Thank you. You really are. And uh, for me, it was a really fun way to merge two things that I very much love, which mm-hmm. is gaming yeah. and acting. And to be handed a scripted scene that's going to go in someone else's role-playing game is so cool. Yeah. Now I'm just bragging. <laughs> it was just one of the coolest, funnest things. And I'm very glad that we both get to do that together. Yeah. It it's such a cool show. Can so you, if you, when you were eight, if someone had told you this is what you were doing, like in your adult life. <laughs> okay, so eight-year-old me would be like, wow, cool, I knew it. I'm awesome. That's true. And then if you told like 16 to 22-year-old me, I would have broke down crying and said, oh my God, thank you because I didn't know. I didn't know that I would ever be able to just have fun and <laughs> and make a living doing that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tell her, not the eight-year-old. Okay. What would you tell eight-year-old Ash? Hmm. I think eight-year-old Ash would have actually had a similar reaction to eight-year-old Becca. Or <laughs> just been like, yeah, duh. <laughs> because eight-year-old Ash forced all of her neighbors to be in plays that she wrote. Oh, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, like 17-year-old Ash would have been like, what? And that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, one final question. Mm-hmm. How are your cats? Bowie and Chloe? Yeah. They're great. We got... Uh, it's been cold enough to turn on the fireplace. Mm-hmm. We refer to the fireplace as Bowie's best friend. Uh, he likes to sit next to it and stare at it. He's really happy. Very pensive cat. Yeah, and we got a new, like, a toy that, like, sticks out this feather thing at random things. And they love Directions? it. Directions? Yeah, but it's got, like, it's got, like, holes all around. It's, like, this almost like a donut with, like, holes all around it. And this feather, like, sticks out of random holes. It's you're great. You're going to have to post a picture of this because the people are going to need to know what the it's F really you're trying cool. to describe. <laughs> but they love playing with it, but only if we're in the room watching them play with it. Oh. Because they're like, we know this is fake. You guys have to involve yourself. They're exhibitionist cats. They No, they just like, you know, Joseph and I. They want us to be involved in their lives. That doesn't sound like cats. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. All right. Well, Ash, it has been such a pleasure to have you here. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank Can you. Can you give me one last plug for D&D in a castle? Oh, yes. Okay, so D&D in a castle, it's all in the title. We play D&D in a castle with world-class DMs um, of, of all different shapes and sizes. There are four events. Uh, if you sign up for the mailing list, we may or may not have some secret tickets opening up. <gasps> so if you go to dndinacastle.com, currently D- our... In, letter D, in? Yes, D-N-D, in a castle.com. Okay. Sign up for the mailing list. Um, we have actually our, our most recent castle that was just announced. Um, they're, the only people who can buy tickets are the people on the mailing list. It is with the uh, library bards, with Amy Vorpal, with Mark Mir, with Jason Carl, a vampire. And, um, oh, Curtis Armstrong, who's Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. He's coming as a guest. You got Booger? Yeah, and then Gina DeVivo, who you know. I love all those people very, very much. And this sounds like one heck of a time. Mm -hmm. If you have the means to go play D&D in a castle in England, you should go do so. Um, Well, thanks so much to everybody listening at home. I think we have six listeners now. That's amazing. I love and appreciate every single one of you. Thanks again, Mom and Dad, for listening. Uh, <laughs> Ash, anybody you want to thank? I want to thank you for having me. Uh, I want to thank your it wasn't. awesome production team <laughs> for for doing all the technical stuff while we just talk at each other for an hour. I'm making this. I'm dragging this out way too much. What, all I need to tell you guys is to subscribe and to share and to rate us because that really helps as well in all the algorithms. Thank you for listening to Victory Points, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.